Okay, if you know the answer, call us right now and let's talk about text messages. A couple of interesting ones coming through here. Let me see. Go back to the start of them. All right. Uh, can you refuse not to eat or buy or sell? Because that is what we will need to do to get vaccinated if you want to survive. That wasn't actually very good sentence structure. No, that's not what we're going to face here in Australia. Yeah. No, that that's like, uh, yeah. That's 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 the level that we haven't gone to yet. Yeah. Uh, but what the- we're seeing is kind of like a prototype of... Revelation chapter 13, which mm-hmm. does talk about the issue of worship. Not, yeah. the issue of, not the issue of vaccination, but the issue of worship. That's and right. so this is a very, you know, there's no biblical mandate for or against vaccination. It's a matter of personal choice, a matter of personal conscience. It's a matter of your own personal health choices. Mm. Uh, but what you've got in Revelation chapter 13 is an issue which it is a very clear biblical mandate in relationship to worship. And it's not a partial uh, coercion. It's full-blown blanket across the rule and so yeah anyway continuing on here because i've got a couple of comments to make on on this text message we all know that the government has passed the buck to businesses yeah and churches now so let's not fool ourselves they have done that because as you said it's unconstitutional in australia no let me clarify what is unconstitutional in australia it is unconstitutional to force somebody to have to do, have any medical procedure or any medication against their will. Mm-hmm. And Australia is not doing that. Mm-hmm. We need to be clear on this. Australia is not doing that. They are pressuring, not forcing. Mm. If they started to imprison people and forcibly vaccinate people who uh, were not having the vaccination, then that would be unconstitutional. Mm. There is nothing unconstitutional in Australia. We don't like it. I don't believe it's right. It should be constitutional mm. but there is nothing so it should be unconstitutional there is nothing unconstitutional about coercing people into having the vaccination mm. the current laws we have in new south wales are not unconstitutional mm. because there is still an option for those who want to refuse the vaccination yeah that's right. it's just a hard one mm. all right so just need to need to clarify that um eritrea uh, that is the faith we will need in the near future, and I don't think any of us have that type of faith just yet. Well, that's a fact right there. Um, <laughs> I, I, you know, I very, very strongly believe that that is the kind of faith that is given when the time comes, mm. and it's based on our relationship that we have with God right now. Mm. I'm so glad we have been promised by God to give, uh, to give it to His faithful. Ch- yeah, to, uh, oh yeah, okay, I, this is good. I'm so glad we have been promised by God. Uh, that he will give it to his faithful children in the last days. He will give them that faith in mm. the last days. Absolutely. I think that's a, a fantastic comment right there because, you know, I think all of us, we look at ourselves and we're like, yeah, we don't have that kind of faith. But, you know, you read stories like that and here we are complaining about, uh, you know, coerced vaccinations. Mm. It's like you can get... You Put can, it in a little bit of perspective yeah, that's all true. of a sudden. I didn't have to been... go to jail for five years when I was 15 years old. Uh-huh, uh-huh. Um, all right. On the American news program, oops, where are we going back up here? I have seen it seems that they are looking to Australia as the guinea pig for the rest of the world for the implementation of globalism. This was earlier this week. I have a friend of mine who is a police officer of 30 years. He's telling me that the higher-ups are now talking about the New World Order or globalism very openly in their meetings. 
And then finally we have, oh, no, this is not finally. I've got a few more text messages here. But this one here says, my first experience with a motorbike was hitting a brick wall. That's that's pretty classic. Luckily, yeah. I survived. So yours was hitting your pop's car. Yeah, my pop's car. You know, I've hit I've hit a few trees in my time. I've crashed a lot. Yes, like, I'm sure I, you I, have. I'm glad I'm here. <laughs> <laughs> What's the highest speed you've crashed at? Um, 202.3 kilometers per hour. I know the exact speed because this is when I was racing in Europe. We had full telemetry on the bike. Um, I was in fifth gear pinned on the rev limiter, and I've shut the gas off, and the front's like fall, what we call folding or like I've, I've just fallen to the ground and I slid for such a long time um, on my side. I was wearing a full leather suit, so, you yeah, know, yeah. I can't graze myself, but I slid for so long that I got heat burn up my arm from the heat of the friction uh-huh. of the leather against the, um, against the tarmac. So dude, yeah, I, uh, I know, <laughs> I know what it's like to crash. <laughs> I've broken both my collarbones, both my elbows, fingers and toes. Dude, my knees are due for reconstruction in a couple of years. So yeah. Hey, that, that, that's the life, bro. <laughs> <laughs> Still out there doing it. Uh, let me see here. Uh, what have we got here? London and Denmark, the vac- vaccine passport has been ditched. Uh, the reason being it has been too problematic. You know, I expect that the same will happen here in Australia because mm. I don't see pastors standing at the church door and checking vaccine passports. Just don't see it happening. Yeah. And it's just going to become stupid and they're going to realise okay, this is a waste of time. So that text message was saying in the context of churches specifically? No, just altogether. In general? In general, yeah. The UK and Denmark have just ditched it because it's just not working. Well, this is Because nobody's policing it. But in Australia, like, I up until this last lockdown happened, when the restrictions started to come in, like, we'd, you know, I remember going to a restaurant and it was like, there's a guy standing out the front. He's like, oh, show me your ID. Where are you from? Yep. It's like, oh, if you're, okay, you're from Newcastle, you're all good to come in. Like, did you t- check in? Like, that's that that was happening. So I don't see how it's too difficult to transfer that over to, hey, have you got your vaccine? You know, show me your Service New South Wales app. Yeah, but how many times did you buy fuel without putting a mask on? Um, well, you so might be a good person. So no, no, no. So, so I was working at at a, at a petrol station at the time, uh-huh, and uh-huh. we were told like, if this is the thing, if someone filled up their car. And they didn't have a mask. You had to sign them in. Yep. You had to sign them in. Um, and if they didn't have a mask and they didn't sign in, if they got fuel, it was kind of like you know you're at liberty as a petrol station worker to refuse service from anyone. So they can fuel up their car and you can make them leave because of whatever. Um, but if someone tried to buy something from the shop and they weren't willing to sign in or put a mask on, you could say leave. So yep. I I think that alter well at the moment it, with with petrol like. At, with petrol stations, they're really hammering down on, like, you can't come in without a mask, and they work out a, a way around that, whether it's through the night window, you know, during the day or whatever. So I think that, I, I don't know, to say that it's going to be too hard, I just particular. I can see that happening well, in other been, countries. It has, been in those, it has been in those other I countries. I think in Australia, it'll be, it, it'll be easier to for, enforce, therefore people will enforce it. That's because of our, Because of our smaller population. Yeah, I, I mean, you look at, uh, I don't know. We'll see what happens. We will. We'll see what happens. Who can predict the future? We need to get to our Bible study. <laughs> Let's go to Jonah chapter 3. Let me just see. I think another text message come through there at the end, did I? We love hearing from you guys. Please. That was from John, by the way. Mm. Um, I tend to think there's going to be a whole bunch of environments in which people are not going to check, and I think churches are going to be at the top of that list. 
because it's kind so. of because it's kind of against the whole ethos of why a church exists. Church mm. exists here so that come unto me, all you that labour and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest, and I won't ask any questions. Mm. I think the struggle that we're really having is that the government doesn't understand the purpose of church. Yeah, exactly. The government and and we're even having this, you know, in, in a microcosm. And thankfully, there's some dialogue going on. This is something I mentioned a few times at our local uni where mm-hmm. I work, um, you know, in terms of the legislation that's being put forth, not only in terms of vaccines, but just in terms of like proselytization yeah, and all, all kinds of things. How bizarre and is that? It, they, they simply don't understand the purpose of church and Christianity. Yeah. And I think that, you know, in terms of the federal government, I know that with us, uh, well, so we've had meetings with the, the leaders of the people making the new policies that are stopping us from proselytizing and giving people the opportunity on the grounds that, uh, to, to know Jesus on the grounds that, hey, if you're at the volleyball club, you can give people the opportunity to play volleyball. If you're at the vegan club, you give people the opportunity to become vegan. And you're saying at the Christian club, you're not allowed to give people the opportunity to become Christian. Um, well, that makes no sense. That makes all. no sense. And so they're actually, uh, uh, they're in talks. Updates are going to happen because uh, that we've talked to, you know, leadership at the uni, but this is the thing at a government, you know, federal government level for that culture to change. I hope, you know, and, and there are people lobbying and, and hopefully we can see, Honestly, this is the challenge. This is the challenge that we have in Australia, where our politicians are so many generations removed from Christianity, and from religion and from faith, they Mm. actually have no idea what they're dealing with. You're listening to Faith FM, positively different radio. You know, because I I belong to some community organisations. For instance, I belong to uh, a a a classic and antique car club. And uh, the people's level of passion for that, you know, that's their community. That's, yeah. that's their kind of their version of church. That's where they go to find community. But their level of passion for that has nothing to do with, has no relationship whatsoever to what I have when I go to church and when people are dealing with people's salvation mm. and when people's people are dealing with people's eternal life. Mm. And it's like that. that's the first step. Like and that's... the government, the gov- sorry for butting in, but yeah. the government looks at church in the same way as it looks at, you know, my local classic and antique car club uh, because it's like, well, this is where people go to find community. It's like, no, this is a life and death situation. Mm. This is how Christians view this. There is nothing more important in their life, in their existence, in the mm. reason why they are there than salvation. That's right. You know, this is a little bit like telling ambulance drivers you uh, you can't um, you, you can't minister to people, you can't help people who are broken down on the side of the road if they're unvaccinated. It's the same category because mm. they are passionate about saving lives, mm. but Christians are more passionate than ambulance drivers because they are dealing with eternity. Yeah, but even at the step down from that, that I this is the one that I really don't understand is that you legislatively exempt churches from paying tax to offer social services to the communities, and then you're actively thwarting them from doing that. Why? Like, <laughs> you you are like, then just tax the, church, tax the churches if you want them to stop helping people. <laughs> and then they'll be like every other club. Don't put that idea in their mind. But, but hey. We need to go to our Bible study. Truth. We're sidetracked. That's, that is such a good point. <laughs> Anyways, Jonah chapter 3. Where did we get here. up to in Jonah 3? Um, we read. So Jonah's in there and he's in the city. I think we got down to like verse 5, didn't we? Yeah, essentially Jonah's like declared. Oh, no, so we, we read verse 4. We read the message, okay. and then verse 5 is the response. 
Go for it. So it says in verse five, the people of Nineveh believed God's message and from the greatest to the least, they declared a fast and put on burlap to show their sorrow. So this is a text message that came through yesterday in relationship to this. And it says, interesting to read that there is no mention of Jonah being abused in any way by the Ninevites. Mm. He was feared and respected. Yeah. Wow. And, you know, this is, uh, this is, Absolutely what we see taking place uh, right here in this mm. um, in in this scenario. And we talked about some of the reasons for it yesterday. Maybe there was testimonies of how he came out of a mm. fish. Maybe he his appearance was different. Maybe he was well known as being a prophet, even though in a minor nation. Mm. But definitely maybe his fame had spread further mm. abroad than what we realise. This is something I was showing Lyle after the show, actually, is that uh, he's... Because when we see him mentioned in the book of Second Kings, he is the prophet that is actively helping the war effort. Lyle tried to dismiss me on that on air. I did. <laughs> like a silly guy, not realizing that I read the Bible too. And uh, no, because it says there in Second Kings, I believe it's chapter 14, um, where it, it literally says that he is helping the king at the time to regain territory from the Assyrians. So okay, so he's kind of the uh, public enemy number one for the series. Yeah, he is. He is the war prophet. Like he's the man. You know, I, I kind of mentioned this yesterday, and also okay, um, I need to read this passage on on Tuesday. He is like you know, you've got generals, you've got soldiers, you've got captains, and you've got Jonah. Like he's 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 there getting it done. So yeah, it's a really like he. There would be reason to say that he is well known, even though he's from a micronation. But he's from the micronation that is taking land back from the Assyrians, regaining territory. So have you got that passage up? And he did that which was evil in the sight of the Lord. He departed not from all the sins of Jeroboam, the son of Nebat, who made Israel to sin. He restored the coast of Israel from the entering of Hamath under the sea of the plain, according to the word of the Lord of Israel, which he spoke by the hand of his servant Jonah, the son of Amittai, the prophet which was of Gath-Hefer. For the Lord saw the affliction of Israel. It was very bitter, for there was not any shut up, nor any left, nor any help for Israel. Mm. There you go. Yep. Interesting. I have to dig more into that. Yeah. I need to find out more. Yeah, I didn't need to find out more about it. <laughs> anyway. But essentially, this all, all culminates in, in, in this situation where Jonah shows up in Nineveh having flopped out of the mouth of a fish and walks into the city and says to everyone, 40 days and you'll be destroyed, and they all do it. Yes. Like, that's it. That's it. Wow. <laughs> Continues on, it says, For the word came unto the king of Nineveh, and he arose from his throne, and he laid his robe from him, and covered him with sackcloth, and sat in ashes, and caused it to be proclaimed and published through Nineveh by decree of the king and his nobles, saying, Let neither man nor beast, herd nor flock, taste anything. Let them not feed nor drink, but let man and beast be covered with sackcloth, and cry mightily unto God. Yes, let them turn every one from his evil way, and the violence that is in his hands, that is very, very un-Assyrian. Mm. This is an Assyrian king who is literally the Joe Biden of the ancient world. He is literally the most powerful person on the planet. He is running the superpower at that particular uh, time in Earth's history. And uh, just about every nation is going to pretty much tremble mm-hmm. any time he says something nasty or looks their direction. Mm. 
This is an incredibly powerful king. These are kings who are incredibly arrogant. They have been raised from childhood with privilege and with the right to be able to rule. Mm. And as the, you have this incredibly proud and powerful king, he gets up off his throne and says, okay, you're going you're gonna to fast and pray. Mm. And, we're gonna sit. and he takes off his royal robes and sits in sackcloth and ash. Mm. This, is the most, this is the most second most successful evangelist who ever lived. Yeah, wow. I mean, he's not preaching to people who even have a basic foundation knowledge of God. He's gone to rank pagans. Mm. How many of the Old Testament prophets were called, their primary calling was to go and preach to rank pagans? Not many of them. Very few. Mm. Very, very few. And Jonah stands out amongst all of them. Mm. You know, he's right up there with the Apostle Paul when it comes to being, you know, an apostle to the Gentiles. Mm. And he's gone to the Gentiles, and these Gentiles are the worst of the worst. And then the Assyrian king, notice what it says in verse 8. Mm-hmm. Read for us verse 8 again. Uh, in verse 8 it says, People and animals alike must wear garments of mourning, and everyone must, must pray earnestly to God. They must turn from their evil ways and stop all their violence. Stop their violence. Yeah. <laughs> you know... The Assyrians knew that their violence was wrong. Yeah. And so they are the worst perpetrators of violence our world has probably ever seen. And yet here you've got the Assyrian king saying, all right, if we're going to turn to God, if we're going to repent, uh, we need to stop the violence. Mm. Okay, Bruce has got this one to say here. Uh, The Ninevites would have believed because they already would have heard through the word of mouth that the waters were calmed by throwing Jonah overboard. Okay, now that's an mm. interesting thought. The waters were calmed, firstly. Secondly, that um, he, he was spat up. up by a fish. I, I've heard sermons on this before, like the main uh, god of of Assyria was like Dragon the fish god, and which is like... Ever here or there? Like it was, was more the Phoenicians who serviced Dagon yeah. and, and Philistines, but yeah, he was a, he was a significant god, no question. Yeah, that. and so for them, like to see some guy thrown up out of a fish out of the sea, they could have interpreted it as a messenger from that god. But at the same time, like you know, there's a perspective of like, oh, maybe they think that like he came from them, but it seems very clearly here that they're talking to the one god. They're not oh, talking absolutely. to gods. Jonah, no- Jonah's not going to rock up and say, yeah, yeah, I'm the guy that came from from Dagon. No, yeah. This is this is like they're talking about Yahweh. Absolutely. Like yeah. So Jonah's going to turn up and say, "I'm the God who created everything. I'm the uh, sorry. I'm the prophet of the God who created everything. Yeah. Who rules in heaven. And you know, not that he even says that. No, like, he, he just says forty days and you'll be destroyed. But they know why. Yeah, like, we they, don't have, we don't have the full text of his sermon. Yeah. We but, have the we have the the summary. Mm. But we have to say at that point that they. For them to repent in this way um, and to not do anything, like, because it could have been like, okay, like, let's get the whips out and 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 whip ourselves and hurt ourselves and like, like in a in a very pagan way, they could have no, they fast and pray, but they fast and pray, which is exactly very Christian what thing God to do. requires from them. Absolutely, like this is. It seems like they're worshiping God. Absolutely, of course they are. So we have- Jonah's not going to lead them to some pagan god. That's right. So we have to say that that that's what's going on here. Mm. Yeah. Absolutely. All right. So um, finally, in verse 9, it says, Who can tell if God will turn and repent and turn away from his fierce anger that we perish not? You're listening to The Breakfast Show Podcast on Faith FM. Positively different. 
Okay, a couple of other text messages still coming through here. Agreed. Things of God are foolishness to secular institutions. Mm. Spiritual things are discerned spiritually. That's from Vincent. Mm. Uh, Freco says that uh, passports are going to bring division. Uh, they already are. Yep, absolutely. Um, good point regarding church's tax-free status. Would like to learn more about the restrictions at uni. Mm. And, uh, yeah, so we've got some good text messages coming through there. Thank you for sending those through. All right, let's go back to our story about Jonah. But while we go back to the story, Lawson, you've done evangelistic programs. Yes. What's it like when you make an appeal and people give their lives to God? Oh, it's like, I, I think it's... You know, we talked about Instagram likes before and everything. And obviously, I think it's a very humbling experience because you know that it only happens through the power of God. But it is the biggest rush of adrenaline and joy and just like... And there's almost like, you know, before... Like, you make an appeal, right? Yes. Like, hey, guys, like, who wants to give their heart in baptism today? And there's... Before the first person makes that decision, no matter how long that period is, maybe it's like a split second, maybe it's 10 seconds, maybe it's 20 seconds. Maybe it's 10 minutes. You can hear like a pin drop. It is like, you know, no one's, when you make a call for decision, like no one is getting rowdy. But then once someone makes that decision, you are just like elated. Like you were just like, in, in your mind at least, like you're like, fist pumping and punching the air and like you were just so hyped um i think it's because i remember we were staying in the same hotel when you were doing a campaign in ethiopia and you know you would come back well actually everyone can come back from their various locations and just debrief on just stories oh dude so true i I was really blessed i was in a really really great church really young person focused church i think a lot of churches were kind of similar to that in in ethiopia because the population there is so young but mine was kind of a young person regional church and uh, we in the end had 65 decisions for baptism and so but night on night you know we had at least 10 people um whenever a decision was made we had at least 10 people coming up the front um, making decisions and it was like it was just something else, dude. It's so good. So, all right. So, um, Jonah makes an appeal. Yeah. And the whole city makes a decision. Like, the whole <laughs> of Nineveh, there's like 350,000 people <laughs> make a decision. <laughs> verse 10. Why don't you read for it? It's verse 10. In verse 10, the Bible says here, uh, When God saw what they had done and how they had put a stop to their evil ways, he changed his mind and did not carry out the destruction he had threatened. And now let's read Jonah's reaction in verse 1. Let's see him... Fist pumping the air, oh, telling dude, telling testimonies, <laughs> sharing with everybody the amazing things that God has done, just celebrating the fact that so many people have come to God, right? Verse 1. This change of plans greatly upset Jonah, and he became very angry. <laughs> <laughs> this guy's nuts. Oh, let me read it from the King James. The Bible says, but it displeased Jonah exceedingly, mm-hmm. and he was very angry. Yeah. What, what is going on here? What is wrong with this guy, dude? I, I, I wish I could live like. This. I wish I could just not care and then just be successful. Like I don't wish. I wish I could pretend to not care and be successful because this is the thing. Is like I really care. Like we really okay. care about what we do here. But Jonah is just. Why, why, why would Jonah be upset by the fact that God changed his mind and God's like, yeah, okay. I'm not going to destroy the city in 40 days. I think, as we've discussed, like, the reason he didn't want to go there is because, like... These were the enemies. These were the enemies, man. Of his people. And I, I'm sure Jonah, again, if if we can assume that he was part of the war effort, like, Jonah knew people who so, were so killed Jonah, by these Jonah guys. Gets, Jonah gets told to go to Kabul. Yeah. To be a missionary there. Yeah. 
and to tell the Taliban they're going to get wiped out in 40 days. Yeah. So he goes to Kabul. He tells the Taliban, you're going to get wiped out in 40 days. Instead of getting blown up, (laughs) they all repent, give their lives to God, turn their lives around, um, and come back into, you know, fully being a religion of peace Mm. and becoming servants of God. Mm. And then God says, "Okay, well, I'm not going to I'm not going to blow the Taliban up in 40 days." Mm. And so Jonah gets upset. Jonah gets upset because the Taliban aren't going to get blown up. And honestly, like it would be it would be a lot closer to home for us mm. if we knew someone who had, say, lost their lives in the Twin Towers or lost their lives in Afghanistan or something like that. Yeah, I, I personally, you know, know a few different soldiers from a different few different walks of life who have spent time in Afghanistan. Um, you know, I know some church like church members who were soldiers over there, and they come from the perspective that yeah, you know, if if that was to happen, they'd they'd be happy because there's Jesus is in their life. They have that level of of forgiveness, and they want to see peace. But then personally, I, I you know, I know one one of my dad's friends who spent time over in Afghanistan, um, and you know in a, a part of really high level operations, you know, going into towns and, you know, clearing towns from the Taliban and seeing people die, seeing his friends die, seeing kids die, seeing women die. And it has really negatively affected him, you know, mm. and, and he comes like from the perspective when he has conversations with my dad, just about like, he, he, he can't forgive. Mm-hmm. Like, and, and as Christians, like we, this is something in the, that God calls us to forgive, but Without that peace in his heart and life of having salvation in Christ, like this person in particular, really struggles with with PTSD and the lives that have been lost, and and even just his involvement as well. He just sees those situation for what it is, how terrible it is. But he looks at the Taliban, he looks at that, and he in for him personally, he's like, well, yeah, if they could be all destroyed, that's exactly what I want. And I feel that it would be glass crater. Yeah, and and that's how a lot a lot of people feel because of the terrible experience that they've had over there. How close to home it hits for them, you know, particularly when they've been there. And and I think Jonah here is is going through a very similar thing. Obviously, this is not a man who is at at peace in his heart, even though he's had the the repentance experience. He's still struggling and holding on to the fact that these guys are the enemy, man. They've, like, killed my friends. They've, like, raped and tortured all the nations around us. Like... Probably members of his family. Members of his family, like, we can assume. Um, and if not, people that he knows. And and it's, he's sitting and he's just like, oh, man, I don't know if I can forgive. Okay, so text message coming through here. The point of that story is that God cares for outsiders as much as insiders. Yeah. God cares just as much for the mm. Taliban as he does for you and I. Wow. And obviously not the agenda of the Taliban. No. But for their souls. Exactly. Mm. Exactly. Got another one coming through here. Ah, oh, where did it go? Come on, come back, come back. Where did it go? Right here it is. Uh, Jonah, we tend to forget that the Holy Spirit was there before Noah. While Noah was the voice of God, it was the Holy Spirit who was changing hearts. Mm. Absolutely. It wasn't Jonah who was doing this. It was God that was doing this. It was God's work. Mm. And it was God's work on Gentiles. We're going to talk more about this tomorrow. We're going to finish this story tomorrow. It's going to be amazing. You're listening to The Breakfast Show Podcast on Faith FM. Positively different. 
Dawson. Okay, well, I guess right now it is time for... Question of the Day. Oh, I'm really excited about this question. It's an interesting one. Um, and essentially it is, God protected the livestock all the way through the parted Red Sea uh, for Moses and the Israelites. What happened to that livestock? How come they ended up being hungry and needing meta from heaven? Yeah, it's a really good question. Okay, so what you are looking at here is a situation of projection. Mm-hmm. Now, uh, how long? First of all, you know, God had to provide water, and they were they had no water, and so this is the first thing that God provides. Uh, and so, you know, you are you can you can go for like say for instance three days without water, and then you're going to be done. Mm-hmm. And they've they've gone out into the desert. There's you know a million. 1.2, 1.3 million, something like that, people. That's a lot of water that you need to provide. And so, um, you know, and it needs to, be, needs to be provided in a very, very short space of time. Mm. You, have, you have very limited resources. You've got to have an enormous amount of water in a short space of time. And so God does this. Mm. And primarily he does that by bringing water out of the rock to be able to supply for their needs. There are several oases where, there are, where they are able to access water. But that places both them and their livestock in a very dangerous situation. Now, when you recognize that you can only go three days without water and that you are on the far side of the Red Sea and the Red Sea has closed behind you and you can't cross back over the Red Sea to get to the Nile River where water is available, you suddenly recognize, I've got three days to live. Mm. And so then they get upset and they're like, we need water and God provides water. But then they look at the food supply and they've got flocks and herds and so forth, they're out in the desert. You know, the goats can eat pretty much anything. They will literally eat the shirt off your back. But, you know, there are other things like cattle and sheep that tend to be a little bit more picky than that. And they're in an environment where they have an enormous amount of um, livestock that they need to take care of and probably very, very small amount of fodder. Now, they can use that livestock for food, but if that livestock... So let's let's think about food now. Let's say you've got water, but you don't have food. How long is the livestock going to last for? Oh, not about, very long. Yeah, yeah, you know, you can make it for about a month at the most. And by the time the month is up, you're going to be slaughtering livestock that is just... Skin, Dying of skin and bone and leather yeah. anyway. And so it's not going to be much use to you at that. And so the reason that they are calling out and saying, look, we're going to starve right here and they're getting upset is because they are doing very simple projections. And they're saying, you know, I've literally got four weeks to live here. And by the time they actually make the complaint, they've probably got three. And they're saying, I've literally got three weeks to live. And we can't go back. We're too far into the wilderness we are too far from any kind of supplies. Our supplies are about to run out. Uh, Moses has not taken any of this into account. The cloud that we are following, God who is in the cloud, has not taken this any of this into account. He's just like, yeah, let's go out of the wilderness. So we've all gone out into the wilderness, and now we're dead. We are literally walking dead people because we are out of range of Supplies. Mm. The supply lines do not exist and they're out of range of supplies. And so, of course, that's when and how God provides the manna so that they all can survive. There's something for all of them to eat and all of their lives are thus preserved while they are there in the wilderness. And that, of course, lasts for 40 years. That's a very, very long time that they live in the wilderness in the most one of the most inhospitable environments that you can even begin to imagine.
All right, this is the Downing Family right now with You've Got a Rest. Thanks for being a part of the Faith FM family. Join our community on Facebook or get in touch at 1-800-FAITH-FM.